imagine that. Joshua, this has been an exciting uh series for us. It's called A Life Lived for God. And what's happened up to this point is the Israelites have come out of the wilderness. Okay. They were in the wilderness. They've now entered into Canaan. What happened was they buy, they've come to the miraculous occurrence where the Jordan River was parted. The, the priests were bearing the ark upon their shoulders. And when they set foot in the water, the water Bible says it stood as in heap. It literally cut off so that they could miraculously pass over into the promised land. So that's where we are right now. And what we did last week in our uh, message, which was called uh, Memorials of Faith, is we talked about we're in Joshua chapter 4, verses, I think we're in verses 8 and 9. And we talked about two different memorials that were represented here. These are stone memorials. One was to God's deliverance and God's power. The other was to God's judgment. And what we saw in this thing was the fact that these two, uh, these two monuments uh, were developed and built by groups of people. What we saw, first of all, and we're going to look at this morning, or what we looked at last week is the two, in the two memorials, that first one, that one to deliverance, well, that one was established and built by the 12, the men that were chosen and selected by God. And what we looked at is the identity, first of all, the identity of the 12, as these were the men responsible for being representatives of God, of God's people. These were the men that were to bear the burden for their people. And what we saw was a picture of Christ being the one that bore our burden the burden of sin representing humanity. And then we also looked at and correlated it to the fact that you and I, guess what? As believers, as we interact with this world, people, as far as they know, you may be the only Christian they know. And what they're going to do is they're going to take every Christian they know and they're going to put them all behind you. You become the representative of the faith, whether we like it or not. That's just what happens. Then we looked at the obedience of these men. And we look, these are men that stepped up. God called them to a work. And these men stepped up to do the job that God called them to do. And what we find is the fact that as Christians, as representatives of the world, guess what? We're being called to work as well. We saw these men did their duties with no hesitation. They simply followed through and did not only what God asked them to do, but did it in the way that God asked them to do it. And what we saw in that is the fact that that's the example for us. You and I are to do things not according to the standards of the world but to do them according to the standards of God. He is our example, right? So we saw as there, there, uh, we looked there, then the next thing we looked at was the labor of the 12. The labor of the 12. These men were the ones that were to select the stones. They were to carry the stones out of the riverbed. Then they were supposed to carry them all the way to Gilgal. That's a couple of miles away. We estimate these stones to be between 50 and 150 pounds. Imagine carrying a stone on your shoulder for a couple of miles, not putting it down, not getting any help. These men did this. Why could they do this? Or why, why could they do this? I don't think it's very good English, but you got the good gist of it. <laughs> How could they do this? It's because of their hearts. These men had hearts of service. They were going, you know what? Hey, we're doing this for the sake of the Lord. We're doing this because we love God. So it was a labor of love. And we talked about the labor that you and I have as Christians to stand against the tide of this world, which is, which is wicked. And you try to stand righteously against a wicked world. Well, that becomes a weight that we carry. And it can either be a labor of love or it can just be a labor, all dependent upon our heart, right? Then we looked at the second memorial, which is the memorial of judgment. And we looked at its builder. Its builder was Joshua. Joshua, who is the Hebrew spelling, uh, the Hebrew spelling of, of Jesus. He is an Old Testament picture of Jesus Christ. And what's so cool about this is the Bible talks about the fact that Jesus is the one solely responsible for deliverance. He was the one that came to live a life of perfection and to die on the cross, but he's also the one solely responsible for, for judgment. And so the second memorial was a memorial unto judgment for all of those that would reject, who have rejected and will reject the good news of the gospel in this aspect of judgment. Then we looked at its location. 
its location. What was interesting is the fact this was this thing was to be built directly in the center of the riverbed, at the deepest part of the water. What this tells us is this thing, once it was built, and once it once the water's returned, guess what happens? It disappears. No one will ever see it again. Inexorably linked, there's a link in scripture that inexorably ties water with judgment. And when we go to the word Jordan, which when you split it up, the word J-O-R, what does it mean? It means to spread. And Dan, the tribe of Dan is the tribe of judgment. Literally, the Jordan means spreading judgment. So he correlated these two memorials, recognizing the fact that, well, guess what? There was an aspect of them, their longevity of these individual memorials. They were literally a, a memorial, one of deliverance, one of, of, of God's miraculous work. The other one telling us, hey, you know what? This is a place of judgment. It is a mournful reminder of the lives lost. Because one memorial is pointing to those that will stay in heaven. The other memorial points to those that are lost in hell, never to be seen again. So as we look at this aspect today, and what that did last week was it challenged us to choose, right? Because we either choose deliverance or we choose judgment. Those are the only choices that are available to us. But this morning what happens is we're on the other side of the banks. We're on the Canaan. Okay, so what's happened? They've come across the eastern border of Canaan of Canaan is this Jordan River. So now they've come across the eastern border. The people are gathered together. What's happened at this point in time is the memorial of judgment has been assembled. It's sitting at the bottom of the water, at the bottom of the riverbed. The all of the elements have been gathered together to build the memorial that'll be built in Gilgal. So that's where we sit right now and this message this morning is titled Finished. And what I need you to know, that a little bit of a preface is regards to this message. What's happening is God is, Joshua's writing this through the inspiration of the Spirit of God, but he's writing it as a memory. Remember, Joshua's already experienced this, so he's writing about something that's already taken place. So as we read this today, what we're going to understand is there's foreknowledge here as he is looking back upon the situation. We've been following chronologically through the scripture, but now we're going to be looking back a little bit. All right, so let's pray, and then we'll jump into it. Thank you, Lord, for today and for this opportunity to be in your house and, Lord, to gather with your people around your word. And, Lord, I do thank you so much for what you have shown us so far in the book of Joshua. It has been incredible. And, Lord, I do pray that you'll open our hearts today and open our minds. Lord, let the Spirit of God work in us. And, Lord, I pray that, Father, you help me to get out of the way. You know, my desire is not to be heard or to be seen. Lord, my desire is simply to be a recipient of truth. And, Lord, I do pray that you will speak to us through this message, Father, that you will give us exactly what we need, that we will be challenged when we leave here to be better than we came in. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Joshua chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. It says, For the priests which bear the ark stood in the midst of Jordan until everything was finished, that the Lord commanded Joshua to speak unto the people according to all that Moses commanded Joshua, and the people hasted and passed over. And it came to pass, when all the people were clean, passed over, that the ark of the Lord passed over in the priests in the presence of the people. So what we see here is Joshua recounting for us the successful crossing of the Jordan. And there was a phrase that stood out as I studied over this scripture, as I was telling Carl before the service, I read these two verses over probably a hundred times trying to figure out what God was trying to show us. But the thing that stood out is this part right here. It says, until everything was finished, until everything was finished, a job done to completion. Because as I'm reading this, everything's going chronologically. And all of a sudden this right here doesn't, this is already talking about being done. Well, we actually know that it doesn't get done until verse 24. We're only in verse verse 11. So what we do is we're going to look at today is actually the role that each one of them played in this successful accomplishment of God's desire. So first of all, we're going to look at the priests. It says in verse 10, for the priests which bear the ark stood in the midst of Jordan until everything was finished. So these obedient and dutiful men have done exactly as they were tasked. Their job 
was to hold up the ark. That's their job, okay? Now, one of the things we've never talked about is how much does the ark weigh? Now, the estimates go all over the place. And, but what, let's just consider what it's made of. It's made of shittim, which is basically a really, really dense, heavy wood. This thing's made, the poles are made of shittim wood, so they're going to have weight. They're all going to be encased in gold. The lid of, the, of this, is, which is called the mercy seat, is made of solid gold, and we know that it's about three feet long. So this is a massive piece of, of gold. This is going to weigh a tremendous amount, not to mention the Ten Commandments are inside of it. And guess what they're made out of? Stone. They're not light, right? So this thing is not, this is no pushover. This isn't like you're like, yeah, let's get the ark and go. No, this is like, dang, let's get the ark and go, right? So there's a good bit of weight. We can estimate at least 100 pounds on these, on these men's shoulders. And we think about this, and we think about the fact that what are they doing? They're holding up the ark. And what we know about the ark from our studies is the ark is, is, it functions as a representation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that Jesus contains the word, right? What we find is the Ten Commandments are inside of this, of this ark. We also know that it's made of wood. Wood is something that comes from the earth, and then it dies and rots and goes back to the earth. It is a picture of corruptible, the man, the aspect of his humanity. But then it's all wrapped in gold, and gold represents deity. And then it's crowned with gold. It's a lot of awesome pictures in there, but that's what's going on there with the ark. Those are the pictures that we see. What we see here, the fact is, you know, how long are these men standing here? We imagine them standing here straining with this thing, right? And, and we think about the aspect of, of, of I mean, standing still is hard enough. You ever, like, go to the DMV or something like that and just have to stand in line? You ever know just standing for a while after you were like, man, my back is like, dude, this is like, ugh. Do they have something like, and you're just like this, you're like, you know, you're like leaning against stuff, just anything to take the weight off, because just standing, your own body weight is heavy. Yep. Well, now chuck on 100 pounds, and you're on a, on a pole that's on your shoulder. So these guys are standing. Now, understand this aspect of what's taking place. We here see, in the picture, what we see is the priests, here they are, they're standing in the midst of the Jordan, which is a place of judgment, okay? And I want you to picture this. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to be priests, right? So here they are, they're holding up the ark, and what are they doing? These faithful men, who, they're holding up the ark, who, by the way, is a picture of Jesus, who also is, by the way, called the Word. So here we have faithful men standing in the midst of a place of judgment, holding up the Word for it to be displayed, and what in doing so, what are they doing? They are holding back judgment upon the people. You see that? All these little things are all pictures in Scripture. But see, this says something to us. If we look here in Philippians 2, verses 14 through 16, the Bible says this. Do all things without murmuring, murmurings and disputings. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Now, you and I, as Laodicean, modern-day Christians, if you and I were to, put it, were to fill in for one of those priests, let's say Bob was sick and we had to fill in, and they put us on corner four, and here we are. I would hate to say that there would probably be some, some murmurings and some disputings, right? They're all silent, but we're like, oh, man, dude, how much longer do we have to stand here, man? I mean, is this thing, are you heavy? Is this heavy to you? It's heavy to me too, man. Jeez. Is your shoulder hurt? Because my shoulder's killing me. Can we, like, switch? I mean, can we just set it down for a couple minutes? What do y'all think? Right? Wouldn't that be the way the modern-day Christian would be? Because, listen, we get put out if somebody asks us to give a track when we go into a store. 
We get put out if I've got something in my life that I know is wrong and you get confronted in a message and we're like, who's that preacher think he is telling me what I need to do with my life? He ain't my boss. He ain't bossing me. I'll do my life where I want to live my life. That's what happens, right? People come to church and that's what happens. Imagine having to hold there for hours because this is not an easy feat, man. This is a big deal. This thing, this is a long process. But this, uh, Paul continues in Philippians. He says, that ye may be blameless and harmless The Son of God, without rebuke, listen to this, without rebuke, meaning we don't need to be corrected. Listen to the wording of this. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Where are the priests? They're in the midst of the Jordan, a place of judgment. And this tells us right here, a crooked and perverse nation, which we know the world is going to be judged. There's a picture for you and I. Among whom he shines as lights in the world. You are to be a place of where where the light of God is displayed. That's your job. What are you to do? Listen to the next verse. Verse 16, holding forth the word of life. Mm. Holding forth the word of life. That I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Paul is saying, man, you know what? I pray that I didn't come here and pour my life into you guys. My desire is that when we stand before the Lord one day, there will be people standing there because of what you did. Because you responded and because you shared the word of truth. Man, and how long are they standing? Well, we know here it says here, until everything was finished. Remember, this is two to two and a half million people. Imagine them all crossing the river. That's not something that's going to happen in a few minutes. That is hours and hours. Children, animals, all the stuff they're going to bring along. So this is hours and hours and hours of these men just standing still in the exact same spot. Then they're going to go back and get the 12 stones. You know, if it was us, you'd be like, are you kidding me? Couldn't you have got this when you were going through the first time? Why are you going back in? What the heck, man? Let's be efficient, right? And then Joshua goes back in to make his memorial. Look, what's Joshua doing? Jeez, man. Right? This is the, these guys, they're being faithful. Yeah. Being found faithful. They're being found faithful. They're doing their job. Right? And what we find is that you and I have been called to a job. The question is, are we found faithful? Are we doing what God's called us to do? Then we look at this. The next participant is Joshua. Verse 10 says this. Until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to speak unto the people according to all that Moses commanded Joshua. So we see here that Joshua was faithful to fulfill his role. What was his role? His role was to communicate and directions and guidance. That's what he was was tasked to do. And what we find here is that he does it with two sources. First, he shares God's instructions. Okay? He shares God's instructions. It says, verse 10, until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to speak unto the people. Remember, Joshua is the mediator between God and the people. Joshua is to relay relay God's words to the Israelites. Now, what's interesting about this, meaning that no matter who we were, whether it was the priests, whether it was the 12, whether it was the people, what you'll find is the fact that he shares across the board. Joshua's job is to communicate truth. And there's a wonderful lesson for those of us that will teach others. Because you understand, he is not picking and choosing who deserves to hear. No. Joshua, listen to this excerpt from Joshua chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It says, And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Very next verse. And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass over before the people. And they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. So he communicated evenly regardless of the individual's status. It did not matter who they were. Remember, God is no respecter of persons, and we need not be either. 
Acts 10, 34, Peter, it says this, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. So here, Joshua shares the truth with anyone willing to listen. This is key. And it's key for you and I. That's the same attitude we must have. No matter what someone's appearance, what their wealth is, what their fame is, their education, their accomplishment, or their arrogance, it is not relevant. Because guess what? No matter what those statuses are or how we see them, they are still a soul that is in desperate need of a Savior. No matter how confident they may be in their existence, one day when they will stand before the Lord at the great white throne, there will be no confidence. The Bible says that the strong men, the mighty men, will wither and cry before God. We don't want that to happen to anybody. So we must have a heart to share the truth. So we saw Joshua's faithfulness there. Then we look at Moses' instructions. What happened here? Well, Moses, what's interesting about this, just as a qualifier, understand Moses' instructions was nothing that's, they came by way of God. Moses was working as an intermediator as well because at that point Joshua was not hearing from God directly. It says, verse 10, according to all that Moses commanded Joshua. Okay? So as we discussed in the past, what we see in the relationship between Moses and Joshua is a discipler and a disciple. Okay? That's exactly what's happening here. So what we found is the fact that Joshua, what did he do? He honored the man that God put in his life to teach him. He honored him, the man that God entrusted to teach him truth. And so for 40 years, what happened is Joshua followed Moses. He learned from watching Moses' life, and Moses poured into Joshua's life. He poured into him, faithfully sharing God's wisdom. As he heard from God, guess what? He talked to Joshua. Much, much, much time, just the two of them. You find when he goes up on the mountain, there's only one other man there. It's Joshua. Joshua's there. When he goes inside of the tabernacle, the makeshift tabernacle in his own tent, and God shows up, guess who's with him? Joshua. And it says when Moses leaves that Joshua lingers. He's like, man, I want one day for God to talk to me. Man, I want, what jo- I want what Moses has. That's what we're trying to do in discipleship. We're trying to pour into someone else's life. We're trying to reproduce another believer. So God entrusted him with this, and he got God's wisdom until he received it for himself. We see that happen. We saw it in Joshua chapter 1 when we started this. Joshua 1 and 1, verses 1 and 2. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do, do give, give to them, even to the children of Israel. Then verse 5, a little further down, he says this, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Amen. There's been a transition that has taken place. Yes. A discipler poured his life into a disciple, and that disciple has now stepped up. So no longer is he to be a faithful follower, now he's to be a faithful leader right? That is the process. And what's the result of his leadership? And the people hasted and passed over, it says in verse 10. So we see a picture of discipleship, reproducing productive Christians. This is the very same pattern that we saw in our Lord. The very same thing as he established his disciples. Understand what I'm going to read you is in John 17. Now the wording here, you need to pay attention to the wording because what happens here, this is a day before Jesus will die. This is a day before he's Finally, done. But listen to what the wording is here in John 17, 4. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Hmm. That sounds like he's done, but he's not actually done until the next day. What he's talking about is I've established my disciples. Those men are in place. I've done over this last three and a half years. I've poured into these men. 
Jesus didn't pour into thousands of people. He poured into 12 men that he worked with individually and developed and built. And the reason why we're here today is because they were faithful to do their job. And that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. The very same thing. Man, as Christians, we're supposed to follow the example of the Lord. And if we truly are following him, then we would be in discipleship right now or we would be discipling someone. If you're a parent, just let me tell you, you are discipling, whether you realize it or not. Every single day, you are building a leader or you're building a follower because they can follow the world. Because a lot of parents, we don't do our jobs properly. And these kids are looking for someone to follow. And the world will give them plenty of options. The devil has got all kinds of attractive packages to draw our children's hearts and minds. Our job is to establish them in truth and strengthen them in it. What's really amazing is Jesus actually gave us the curriculum for discipleship right up before he leaves. His very last words before he leaves the earth. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Listen to this. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. One part of that teaching is, fellow, is, is, is adding virtue to your faith, which is being obedient, which is baptism. Okay? So we get him started. He says, teaching all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Listen again. What's the word that comes next? Teaching them to observe what? All things whatsoever I have commanded you. Learn the word of God. I'm going to build you and establish you in the truth. And lo, I am with you all, even to the end of the world. He's saying, look, so while you're discipling someone, guess what? Not only will I help guide and support you, but guess what? I'm going to be there the whole time. I'm going to help you finish this work. We think about, I'm not worthy. I could never do this. But guess what? It's not us that does it. If something established is done, if something's done properly, it's because God was in it. And that's the beautiful thing. We follow the Lord, not our own understanding. So we've seen the faithfulness of the priest. We've seen the faithfulness of Joshua. Now let's consider the 12. Okay, and it says here in verse 11, And it came to pass when all the people were clean, Passed over. Love the word clean being in there. That's kind of cool, the picture of deliverance. But anyway, that's a whole other message. I believe that the gospel here is really talking about those, about those 12. This is the ones that are going to build the stone memorial in Gilgal. Notice, why do I think that, that when he says that, he says, when all the people. He's talking about them individually, these, these 12. Because remember back in Joshua 4, 8, what we saw was God kind of changed their identity a little bit. He no longer listed them as individuals. He listed them as the people. And the children of Israel did. And so notice here. So, and the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded. And what did the children of Israel, which should be the, the whole body of people, and took up 12 stones out of the midst of Jordan. So he's literally talking about those 12 men. As the Lord spake unto Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them unto the place where which they lodged, and laid them down there. So at this point, the 12 are functioning as representatives of the people as a whole. We saw in verse 10 what it says, and the people hasted and passed over. I believe that's talking about the multitude. That's the main bulk of people. Then there's going to be the 12 that are going to come after that. Verse 11 said this, the remaining 12, right? They come to join. There are no stragglers. All the people were clean, passed over. So now all of them, every one of the individuals is over there. All of the 12 have now gathered up on that side. So now we see and we can envision The fact that the 12 are standing on Canaanite soil, holding their stones, waiting to move forward. So we've witnessed the priests. We've witnessed Joshua. We've witnessed the 12. And now let's consider the people, their faithfulness. As far as the crossing is concerned, understand they've finished everything that they were instructed to do. Right? What we're going to see is the fact that in the near future, they're going to experience God's reward for faithfulness. Remember, Amen. God rewards faithfulness. Amen. God Amen. rewards faithfulness. 
We so many times believe that we have to bear the burden of making sure things are going to work. But listen, God's only requirement of us is to be faithful. Fruitful aspect of our life comes from God. The faithfulness is the part that we have control over. So God says, look, you be faithful. I'll worry about the the fruitful. But remember up to this point, the ark, how far away? They had to stay over half a mile away from the ark. They had to keep great distance from the ark. But what we're going to see is that's getting ready to change. Notice this, what happens next. Because Reconnect's... And reason being, why did they have to stay the distance? Because they really don't understand the significance of the ark at this point in time. They really have not seen it. It's been behind closed doors. They've, the people have never been around it. So now they're told to keep away from it because there's great power there. This thing is, you've got to have reverence for it. Then all of a sudden they see the water stand up, whoom, and everybody crosses over, crosses and drag around. And they're like, holy moly, dude, did you see that? When the guys with the ark touched the water, it just stood up. It's like Unbelievable. So now they have a reference that, or a reverence that's not something that they were told. They've personally experienced it. So reverence and fear comes naturally to them at this point in time. And notice the, the result of this new understanding. Verse 11 says that the ark of the Lord passed over in the, and the priests in the presence of the people. The ark is now in the presence. And see what's so cool about this? See, look how it's written. It says that the ark of the Lord passed over. See, it's being carried by priests, but there's no mention of them at this point. It's like the ark came by itself. You know why? The ark is the hero of the story. The ark gets the glory. And see, that's the way it's supposed to be in our lives. See, our problem is we want to be so important, but we're not. We're not. We're the problem. God is the solution. When things go awry, it's because we got involved. If we just do what God says and do it his way, guess what? It comes out incredible. So what we see here is this job of, the, of, the Israel, of these priests. They understand that their job is not to be seen. Understand, they show up. Listen to this. It says, verse 11, and the priests. They're like an afterthought. So look, it says, the, the ark of the Lord passed over, and the priests. If we're faithfully doing our job, guess what? That's exactly the way it'll be for us. Amen. People will see the Lord in our life, not us. Yeah. The priests are not coming up in the Jordan looking for thanks. Way to go, fellas. Good job. No, all glory to the Lord. My goodness gracious, if, if, if it was the four of us, if it was four of us, Laodicean Christians, and we're the ones bringing that thing up out of there, we're making sure our face shows how hard we've been working. Whew. Whew. That's hard. We're looking in the eyes of our countrymen for a little bit of appreciation. Hope they appreciate this, man. You see what I'm doing for you? Wouldn't we? Think about it. We like to be important. Did you see what we did? We'd have, we might have one hand like this. The other hand, we'd be like, whoop, whoop, come on, folks. Let's get going. Yeah. Get the wave, something. Look at the appreciation of what we did. We've been standing down there for hours and hours and hours. We haven't complained. Look what we have done. But that's not it. Right. These guys understand their role. Their job is to display the Lord. And whatever difficulties come along with their job, it's their reasonable service. They're just doing what God's asked of them. Romans 12, verses 1 through 3. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. If you are going to display me to the world, I need you to have these traits. I need you to live sacrificially. I need you to live holy and acceptable unto God. So I've called you to be this person, and if you'll do it, 
You're not doing this great work for me. It's your reasonable service. That's the heart of these priests. Verse 2, he says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Verse 3, For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that, that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Mm, don't think you're something special, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Amen. Man, that's who we're supposed to be. That's what we see pictured in these priests. See, God calls us all, all of us to display the love and the life of Christ to this world. That's what's supposed to come out of us. That's when people interact with us. That's what Christianity is. It's to look Christ-like. There's plenty of saved people that are not Christians. Because you know what Christian means? To look like Christ. Mm -hmm. A little Christ. It was used as a derogatory term. They were called that in Antioch, and it was to make fun of them. But man, now we wear it as a badge of courage, a badge of honor that we could be somehow in any way associated with him. And can I just tell you, it's not easy. And it will never be easy. It's only going to get harder. That's just the reality of the way the world is. But it will be worth it. Let me tell you that. If you persevere and if you stick it out and you serve the Lord with your life, how about one day standing before our king and him saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Good and faithful. That's the key word. It'll be worth it, man. If when we stand before the Lord one day, there are people in the line that are getting ready to stand to the judgment seat of Christ, and they're standing there, we look over and we see someone that God used us to share the gospel with that person, and they came to Christ because we were faithful to do what God called us to do. Or we stand there and we see one of our disciples, somebody that we poured our life into, and they're standing receiving a crown from the Lord. It will be worth it. And then check out this last piece. In the presence of the people. In the presence of the people. And you know what that tells us? That the faithfulness that has been displayed, it has impacted all of them. They've all witnessed it. The people themselves have been faithful. They've seen their own follow through. But then they've witnessed these other men. They've witnessed Joshua be faithful. They've witnessed the priests be faithful. They've witnessed the twelve being faithful. And we talked about these stone memorials. What you need to realize is the fact that, guess what? There are also memorials being formed in the hearts of these believers as they stand and see the faithfulness of these men. They're making memorials in their own hearts. They're encouraging one another because of faithfulness. Guys, this is us. We're supposed to be encouraging one another. They've experienced this miraculous work of God with their own eyes. They've seen it. We see in verse 18 what's going to happen is not till verse 18 will we see that when the, when, the, when the priests come walking up, man, the water comes back. I mean, it doesn't come back a trickle. It comes roaring in. The Bible says it overflows its banks. What we find is the fact that, hey, as it does that, what's the beautiful thing is these people have experienced the ark. What used to be kept so far away, now it's in their presence. For us, we might say it this way. God with us. Emmanuel, right? God with us. The reward of faithfulness. Faithfulness of God. So they're encouraging those that have experienced this reward of faith. They've, they see what's going on. And because they faithfully finished the work God called them to do, right? 
They're all standing on this side. The waters are now raging and everything is there. They didn't lose an individual. They've got everything they were supposed to do. Everything is done. And it made me think of the Apostle Paul who said this in 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 through 7. For the time will come, this is, he's talking about right now, just so you know. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Sound doctrine just means biblical teaching. But after their own lust shall, keep, shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They will go seeking someone that will give them what they want. Right. Itching ears means, it's talking about like when you scratch an animal and it gets a response of like, oh yeah, oh yeah. The dog's leg's doing that deal, right? Oh man, just give me what I want. Make me feel good so when I walk away from here, I've been fulfilled. That's what it's all about. People go to church, just give me a good word, brother. Give me a good word because I need something this week so I can get through the week. Because I mean, next week when I come back, you got to feed me again because I got to get through the next week. Not about serving God. God serves me. Standing for Jesus amongst a crooked and perverse nation is not easy. Verse 4 says this, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. People won't want to hear sound biblical preaching. Why do you think this place is not packed out? Because elevation would be slammed full of people. Going, Let's have a party. Because they can feed our flesh and we can all be fulfilled in it. Boy, oh boy, man. I'm going to walk out of here feeling like a million bucks and I got a free t-shirt. How awesome is this? That's the world we live in. It's a Laodicean church age of people that have turned to their own lusts instead of turning to God. Verse 5 says this, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. And I'm just telling you, at Hope Baptist Church, our heart's desire and our wholehearted belief is that every member of the church should be a minister. We should be ministering to people in our community. We should all be evangelists, every single one of us. In whatever form or fashion, if you're a child, we can hand out tracts. We can invite people to church. We can be a light for Christ. Verse 6 says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. My departure. He's about to be beheaded, murdered. The next verse, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Amen. Right? Consider that. He came to earth to do that job. You and I are on earth. We've been given a job. Think about the Lord. Think about the Lord Jesus Christ who came to earth with a mission. He came with a specific purpose. He came to live a life of perfection, to establish his disciples, and then to go and die an atonement for the sins of the world. And do you remember what he said at the very end? There's only one prophecy that he had to fulfill at the very end of his life which comes from Psalm 69, 21. And they gave me vinegar to drink. And sure enough, at the very end of his life, John 19, 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Yeah. Finished. Paul, finished. The Lord, finished. You see, no matter who we are, God has a plan for our lives. A mission for us to fulfill. If you go to Genesis 1.28, you can find out what ours is. Go ye and replenish the earth with what? With sons of God. We're supposed to replenish the earth. We win people to Christ. We train and teach them. And we go out and duplicate ourselves that they'll do the same thing. The desire is God would reach the world. And the system that God put together, the way in which he is to do it is through the church. Are the body. We're supposed to be the ones that go out and share the truth. If we don't have confrontive conversations with people, if we're not willing to, to lay it on the line and put a risk in even relationships with people we care about, do we really care about them? If I love someone and I allow them to go to hell because I never shared the gospel because I was afraid of hurting their feelings, is that truly loving them? No. 
So we listen to this and he goes, bottom line is we talk about all this anguish sometimes. And you know what? There are times that are going to be uncomfortable and difficult and hard. And there's conversations we'll have that will hurt us. But you know what? If we do our very best to do it for God and not for ourselves, we do it because guess what? The Lord compels us to do it. And what I find is if God compels you to speak to somebody, there's, you cannot go wrong. Because even if they don't respond in the way you want them to in the moment, what's so beautiful about that is God works on their behalf in their quiet time. And the conversation that we have that they reject in the moment can resonate in their heart when they lay in bed at night and look at the ceiling and the words ring in their ears. Are you sure you're going to go to heaven? I don't want to think about it. But God just keeps bringing it back. The word of God does not return void. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So not only do we see here these people uh, that are that are faithfully following God. But I want you to understand is if you are in your life, man, that's your desire. Your, your, your heart is set on doing things for the Lord. I want you to know that, man, there are people that will cheer you on. There are people that, Christy and I will cheer you on, man, all the way. It made me think of a video. I don't know if you've seen it. It recently came out. There's a guy who's an Olympic runner, and he's completely blind. And he has a trainer that works with him. And the trainer runs beside him in the training. And I was watching a video of them. There's no sound. But you know what you can see him saying? Go, David. Go, David. He's running beside him as hard as he can. He's saying, go, David. Go, David. Go, David. He's cheering him on, man. Because you know what? He's facing opposition. He's facing something that's difficult, something no one's ever done, be an Olympic race runner and be blind. But he's going beyond in the fact that that coach is saying, go, David. Go, David. Go, David. And there will be those that will cheer, yes, go, go, go. And there will be others that will boo. And I can tell you this, the number of boos is usually much greater than the cheers. But what do we do? We don't listen to the boo. We encourage ourselves to the examples that we see in Scripture, to the examples we see in each other's lives, the example we see in our Lord. He did what he did and finished his course not for him but for us. That's why we do what we do. We don't do it for ourselves. We do it for him. Amen. Because we set our affection on things above and not on things on the earth. He has our heart. And can I just encourage you that when you are running that race, and if you're running strong, there will be people in your life, brothers and sisters, who will falter and they will fall. And they don't need our condemnation. That's right. They don't need us to point fingers at them and tell them about their failure. They need us to come alongside them and lift them up and help them get back in the race. Because remember, it's for him. It's for the Lord. And the more that finish successfully, the more that do it right, man, we've got to be willing to take time to invest in other people's lives to help others. Because when we see in this verse, it says all the people were clean passed over. What that tells us is the strong helped the weak because everyone made it across. You know, they were old. They were lame. There were people there that were struggling. And yet they all made it across. Galatians 6 verses 1 and 2 says this. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, your brother falls into sin. He makes a mistake. His life is a wreck. Ye which are spiritual, those that are walking right, that are following the Lord, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Meekness means it's strength and power under control. Picture of the Lord Jesus Christ means you have the right, you could in your righteous life come back and go, brother, do you realize what you've done? And you could tear him to shreds. 
But it says, in the spirit of meekness, though you might have the right, and you might think you're somehow uh, validated in doing so. No, you come alongside him. You don't point out his failures. You just say, hey, you know what? Let's just get back. Let's get back on course. Let's get back on track. Considering, he says this, in the spirit of meekness, consider thyself, lest thou also be tempted. What that means is when you do slip into judgment, what happens is you've just shifted from being a spiritual leader to now being a sinner just like he is because now you put yourself on a role that is not yours. Then he continues, verse 2, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear ye one another's burdens. That means he's fallen down. What am I doing? I'm going to put his arm around my neck and I'm going to stand him up and we're going to walk. Until he's strong enough, it becomes a discipleship discipleship again. He might be a strong, developed Christian, but guess what? In his life right now, he's a wreck. What does he need? He needs leadership. He needs guidance. He needs help to stay back on the Lord to keep his eyes on Christ. So again, it's a discipleship opportunity. And what is? We see it says, so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Mark 12, verses 13 through 31. Jesus said this, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. That is the, this is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. There you go. There's the law of Christ. It's to love, man. We're not here to be a judge. We're here to love. We're not in this race for ourselves. We're not in it by ourselves. We've got to have our eyes and hearts open. We're here and we're doing what we do for God's glory. And what better way to do that than to live a life of compassion, a life of love, a life of faithfulness to God that encourages those around us. Remember, all of these folks were faithful in doing their job and because they, because they did it, they finished right. And see, we all start this life the same way. And if the rapture tarries, and we go by natural form, however it may be, we're all going to get one final breath, one last exhale. And my prayer for us is that in that moment, we can look back on the mission that God gave us and our successful life lived for God. And the last breath, the last whisper be finished I have fought a good fight I have finished my course I have kept the faith guys the end is coming for all of us Amen. the question Amen. is how will we finish let's pray Lord thank you for today and for the truth of your word thank you for convicting my heart and Lord helping me to see Lord where I need to work and I do pray, Father, that you worked in all of our hearts, God, that we were receptive today, that uh, the truth of your word is, has dealt with us as it needs to. And uh, with our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, if, if you're here today and you say, look, I don't know where I stand with God. Listen, I understand. Almost 20 years ago, someone asked me that question. They said, "If you, God forbid, if you died today, if this is your last day on earth, are you sure you're going to go to heaven? And I didn't, wasn't raised in church. I never knew anything about God. And at 34 years old, I said, you know what? I hope so wasn't a good answer because you know what I thought I'm not a murderer I'm not a thief I never killed nobody I got a shot thank God the person that there was there cared enough about me to share the truth and to show me that everyone the Bible says for all of sin and come short of the glory of God no matter who we are we've all sinned we're all on our way to hell and the whole thing was Jesus came and died for the sins of the world but he loved us individually 
and the fact that he died with me in mind. And praise the Lord, that night I made a choice. And instead of being arrogant and full of self and thinking that I somehow was going to work things out on my own, I realized that I was lost and undone without Christ. And as he spoke to my heart, I responded. Understand, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, there's no magic prayer involved. There is no ceremony involved. This is between your heart and God's heart. And I can tell you what God's heart is. God says he would all men come to, be, come to the knowledge of the truth. He would have all men to be saved. Everybody. So he's calling you right now. I have no doubt about that. Whether this is recorded and it's 20 years from now, he's calling you right now. Your job is to respond. You do that through prayer. And understand, it's your heart. The Bible says, For the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The heart. As he speaks to your heart, if you'll respond, he will save you. He will save you right now. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm going to lead you in prayer. If you want to receive the gift of God, the one he's offering you right now, eternal life and salvation, you're willing to turn from your sin and live for him, he's willing to receive you right now. So with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ, if he's dealing with your heart, if he's calling you and you want to respond, I'm going to help you to do just that. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. Repeat after me in your heart and mind. If you want to receive Christ, repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I am so sorry for my sin. I know that I have let you down. I've let myself down. And I've let my family down. God, I've lived a sinful life. And I'm sorry. I'm asking you right now in the best way I know how to come into my heart to save my soul and give me a home in heaven. Lord, thank you for saving me. Help me live for you. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen.